Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Today's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, we get to welcome on Sean Dezette which is really fun for me because Sean is actually one of my former sales managers uh, who took me under his wing for many years uh, at our, our time at HubSpot. Sean is a top sales leader who helps tons of different businesses grow and scale. He's got a lot of different experience in sales that he'll share with us where he had been the number one channel sales rep at HubSpot in 2015, the number one channel sales manager in 2016 and 2017. Uh, He left, joined a a partner agency, was their chief revenue officer for a while. And now he currently serves as VP of sales for Jazz HR, a leading SMB applicant tracking software company that helps companies find and hire talent a lot more efficiently and effectively. They've been growing like crazy and have learned a lot as they've evolved the organization and culture and how they work through COVID and the pandemic. So Sean has helped me learn a ton throughout my sales career, has really helped me grow into my own unique and my own best seller, and is somebody that I really consider a great mentor. So I'm really excited to welcome Sean on to learn from him, to hear about how he's really leading the team at Jazz HR now, and what he does to perform at his best. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here. And I really appreciate that intro. It was really nice. Um, for, for the record, Jazz HR, we also just merged with JobVite and a company called Next Thing RPO. So our journey just got even more interesting as of a couple weeks ago. Super exciting. I, I'm really curious to hear what that may uh, mean for you, especially as you think about helping lead the teams there and, and helping drive growth. But where I always have to start is understanding where'd you, how'd you get into sales? Where did that sales journey come from for you? And sure. did you know you were going to go into sales when you first got done uh, or got into the working world? You know, I, I kind of did and, and kind of didn't. You know, my father was a sales guy for a lot of my childhood. And um, I often made the joke of I was negotiating for my allowance when I was six. And it really encoded in a certain amount of um, sales DNA to me, just watching him operate. He was running car dealerships and was the type of guy who was constantly buying like Porsches and boats and, and fixing them and selling them. And I just got a ton of exposure to that sort of mentality um, growing up. When I, um, when I sort of went out into the working world, I mean, I've bounced around a lot doing stuff that you sort of do when you're 18 or 19, but ended up um, talking my way into uh, uh, some sales roles. I did actually sell cars for like a year and a half, which was hilarious and terrible. And I'm pretty sure I was drunk most of the time. And then uh, I ended up running uh, a, a cell phone franchise group, which I was. I had no business doing, by the way. And I talked my way into a store manager job, crushed that, then took over a bunch of other features for the whole franchise group and did extremely well doing that. It was just, you know, natural sales stuff. Um, 
And, and that went well for a couple of years. I then moved to California and decided I didn't want to be in sales. So I basically waited tables and surfed for like three years and did some random college stuff and things like that. And eventually ended up in a startup company trying to fit myself into product management, but I kept gravitating to the business development function. That startup company totally crashed out because we ran out of money. Uh, not my fault, at least I don't think it was. And, uh, and we, uh, I ended up becoming a business development guy in the video game industry, which ultimately was just sales. Like I was working with other companies and selling them on why they should work with our company. And at that point, I was probably my mid-ish 20s. I started to acknowledge like, man, that sales is just my DNA. It's who I am. So, you know, over the course of another round of layoffs, I had a consulting business of my own that I literally fell into. That was good luck. And, you know, all that was just selling myself and selling the services I could provide and the value I could add to organizations. And, you know, I, I took a very hard look at, at where my strengths were um, when I eventually moved from California back to the East Coast and decided to just dive back into sales and embrace who I was. You know, I felt like I was kind of fighting the tide a little bit. And I jumped back in, joined HubSpot, and then, you know, the rest is kind of history, man. Like, crushed it and leaned into that sales stuff. And, you know, I have to say that once I embraced more of, like, who I am and my energy and what I was good at, of course, uh, it's when I started being a lot more successful, you know. And then from there, it's been, you know, individual success and getting into leadership and, you know, really learning how to apply the, the micro lessons to the macro situation with sales leadership and eventually organizational leadership where I am right now. What a cool journey as you think about trying to, I like your thought, especially coming from the surfing side of things of fighting the tide, you know, how, how are you trying to go against it to force yourself into a project management role or product management role, um, you know, moving into the video game industry and really just working through these different experiences that really help you find and identify who it is that you really can be at your best and seeing you thrive. I know I got to see that in the sales role, just watching you continually lead not only a segment, but a lot of times an entire company in sales numbers. And I didn't even have all of that context that makes a lot of sense to really say, how do I embrace who I am and where my strengths are? I'm curious, as you've now moved into the leadership roles and really running sales organizations now, what has had to change or what have you had to learn through that process as you are not the one that's there closing the deals and actually, you know, having all of the client or prospect conversations, what have you had to learn or what has been challenging as you've moved from that contributor to manager to now running an entire side of a sales organization? And take your I mean, frankly, uh, a lot. <laughs> if anything, 
probably the the best thing I've learned is is patience and being thoughtful and not shooting from the hip, right? Uh, you know, a lot of the challenges I see in individual sales reps, in leaders, in just business people in general, people I work with across all different organizations is not taking the time to be thoughtful, to gather information, to let that marinate a little bit and make a good decision. So I think one of the core things that that I really try to teach people is, you know, slow down and think about what you're going to do next, as opposed to just reacting in an emotional reactive way. Right. So, I mean, that's been, that's been a core lesson. I, I think there is, you know, a lot of, a lot of fundamentals that we can all continue to get better at. Whereas, you know, communicating clearly, asking questions, understanding that the people that we're dealing with professionally are just that. We're all just human beings dealing with a whole bunch of different circumstance, you know, unique personal circumstance to macro world circumstances, you know, like, goodness, the last couple of years, right, with, um, forget the forget the state of the world, but the pandemic, you know, it's like we're all working through collective trauma in some ways. And like, I think we often forget in sales that the person we're trying to get to say yes and give us their money is in the same position we are, right? They're another person at an organization trying to make a good decision and trying to do their job successfully. And so, you know, I, I, I think maybe the lesson is slow down, be patient, Treat everybody as a human being the same way that, that you want to treat your friends and you want to be treated by people. I know I think that's powerful uh, grandmotherly advice of the do unto others approach and the slowdown is so critical. I know that's something that uh, I struggle with. Uh, I tend to react emotionally and I think there are many times when you've told me and coached me to, to slow down a little bit take a step back, look at the bigger picture, because it's really easy for us in sales to be in this go, go, go mentality, push, 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 get things done as quickly as possible. You're on a quota, you're on a deadline. And you know, I think the saying of time kills deals uh, promotes a lot of that hustle culture that drives results in sales, but can also make it really, really stressful as a seller. And so as you think about being a sales leader, you know, managing teams mm-hmm. and understanding the unique human experience that we all go through, how do you coach your teams or your leaders to manage their own stress or manage themselves so they can show up at their best? Yeah. Um, so managing stress, it's funny you say that, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, what's your leadership philosophy? It's like a classic question you get asked by executives and all that stuff. And like, you know, my leadership philosophy is I manage stress, I help develop skills and I solve problems. And when I combine those three things and when I am that resource for my team, right, whether you're an individual contributor or whether you're a leader who reports to me, that's what I want to do for you. And so, you know, the, the coaching I provide, particularly to sales leaders, is about understanding who they are as a leader, what is important to them, 
what are the things that are non-negotiable to them that they want to convey down to their team. But it's also about kind of taking a breath and finding your own style, you know, your own method and approach to it. Um, we spend a lot of time, I think, trying to figure out how to do the job correctly. When ultimately, you know, that's where imposter syndrome comes from. That's where all those things come from. I mean, doing this right. And ultimately you're doing it right when you're trusting who you are and when you're making good decisions and when you're honest and vulnerable about how you make those decisions, you know, and you're collaborating with other people as well. So I think there's, you know, there's also an aspect. Uh, so look, there's a lot, I could get into a thousand tactical things, but I'll try to think of a couple good ones. Okay. One of them is one thing at a time. And this is something I've really had to work on myself as a leader which is not giving my direct reports a thousand things to fix at once. Ultimately, people can't handle that. If I tell you to do 10 things, you're not going to fix them all. If I tell you to do one thing and I tell you to do that one thing for a month straight, you're probably going to fix it. You know, I think I remember you sitting next to me, which was an intentional move on my part. And I used to lay into you every time you didn't close properly on a phone call. And that was like the one thing I did. It took about two months, but all of a sudden you were like every call, you were determining next steps and you were on top of it, right? And I think I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, that was like a core thing with you. And I mean, that's what you have to do, right? So, so a lot of my leaders, I'm like, what is the one thing you're fixing with this person? What is the one thing you're trying to improve with this person? Um, you know, there's also a matter of backing off a little bit. Backing yeah. off is hard when you want to be involved in everything. But if we are on top of someone and we are involved in everything that they're doing, we're not going to allow them to, to, to stand on their own two feet. And so an important aspect of good leadership is advising, is, is pointing people in the right direction, but stepping back a little bit and letting them fall. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I think I know that better because I am a parent these days. And part of parenting is backing off and letting them fall down sometimes, you know, and that's a really hard thing. But um, it, it applies so universally across, you know, leadership and just helping to develop people and nurture people into their full potential. I love the learning as a dad as well. Uh, that bringing that parenting into it, because yeah. it is so true uh, to your earlier point. At the end of the day, whether we're selling to somebody, whether we're somebody's manager or leader or individual contributor, we're all humans. We all have our own unique perspective. And so frequently, the lessons on learning come from the failures so much more effectively than me telling you, here's a way to do it right. I, I just got off of a call with a rep today who you know, closed a deal that ended up not being a great fit. And he was a little bummed out, maybe a lot of bummed out about it. And I was like, it's okay. Like, this is where we can learn so much. As I talk to new sellers and new BDRs a lot of the time, I love to tell them to open the floodgates up. You know, it's much easier to do a debrief on why a deal did not work out, why they turned or, or why they were not a great fit than hypothetically why I disqualified them too early as you start out early on. So I love that 
thought of how do you let them fall? How do you let them stumble on their own and point them in the right direction and be that gentle guide along the way? I think that's really awesome. You know, yes, and, right. I'll qualify the gentle guide idea because I, I do firmly agree. You got to get out of people's way and you got to help them to get stuff out of their way. But, you know, it also comes down to are they meeting your expectations, right? So, you know, I, I've dealt with a lot of reps who we try to be the guide, but they're not coming to the table with what is their obligation, right? So there is, and I think particularly, you know, if you're thinking about sales leadership, it is particularly a, a hard balance between hammering on a rep to do the right amount of activity versus backing off and letting them find their own rhythm within the role. And it is a tricky thing. So, you know, I think we all, we all kind of have our own style and our own way we get to results. And that is okay. And there's an element of trust that has to exist with your team, with yourself, with the business in order to be successful um, and to truly be successful. But, you know, the, the, the burden of leadership is, you have to hold people accountable to what they're obligated to do. And your, your loyalty as a leader is actually to the company and it's not to the individuals. And I got, I mean, that's the hardest thing I think I probably struggle with moving into leadership and almost everybody I know, particularly who goes from a rep to a leader, that is the core struggle right there. Your loyalty shifts and you have to make decisions and act accordingly. Yeah, I can see where that is really tough because the individual contributor, you are out there hunting for yourself. You are focused on yourself. And as the leader now, you have to really make sure you're focused on the company as a whole. You are in a management role that needs to drive predictability, consistency in an organization that cannot be dependent on just one person saying, well, this is how my unique style works or operates. I, I am curious, when you think about setting a standard for your team, that brings up a, a thought for me from Bill Walsh, who talks about uh, his standard of performance that he set when he went to start coaching the San Francisco 49ers. And so what type of standard do you like to set for your team? Or what is that level of accountability that you just expect everybody to have? And how do you communicate your standard of performance with individuals across the organization? So, um, the basics of metrics, right? <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes it's as easy as here's, here's what our quotas are. Here's what your goals are that roll up and you need to be achieving these goals. Um, you know, it's not always that simple. It's not that simple because of all the things we've talked about and because, you know, I don't know, it's a hard job sometimes, you know, and there's also a lot of macro factors that impact people's ability to purchase. And I think we often forget that, you know, we want to push right through and get them to close the deal when there's macroeconomic conditions and things like that that are impacting us. You have probably heard me say macroeconomic conditions 10,000 times from when we used to work together, right? And it, it really is a theme that I stick with because it does impact things. But all that said, Clarity and consistency in terms of how you communicate and measure goals are super important. Leadership in particular 
consistency is very, very important. So if I'm going to send an email every roughly 10 days that updates the team where we are, I'm going to put it on my calendar. I'm going to make sure I do that, right? If I'm going to celebrate one of my reps cracking 10K MRR in a month, I'm going to do that every time a rep celebrates, right? So I'm trying to gain uh, you know, buy-in from them by creating visibility for how we achieve our goals and celebrate our success. On the flip side of that, you got somebody who isn't hitting their goal, right? Well, you go to the numbers, right? And, and if, if you're in leadership, even when you're a rep, like you need visibility on your numbers. And I can't tell you the amount of companies I've consulted with who don't even know, like, how many opportunities are you creating? How much, you know, how many calls are people making? The basics that you really, you take for granted when you work at a place that has stuff buttoned up, but doesn't exist in a lot of organizations. So, you know, I'm hyper-focused on looking at people's metrics to ensure that they are productive and that they're putting in the right effort because that is one thing I can help them to control if that's there, but goal achievement isn't there, now we have to go into more qualitative stuff. What are you actually doing within your calls? You know, where cool things like gong and that type of stuff comes into play because I can actually start to dig in on the qualitative aspects. So, you know, visibility, consistency, clarity and goals, and then finding different metrics that are indicative of momentum and success and being, you know, again, consistent about discussing those and putting them and making them visible at the individual and the team and even the organizational level at times. Yeah, I think if you don't know where you stand, it's really hard to know where you're trying to go. And, sure. and that makes a ton of sense. Uh, and what is so nice about sales in today's day and age with all the technology, CRM systems, call tools like Gong and others, that allow you to have so much more insight into what's happening in real time, which I think also made it, you know, much easier for many organizations to adopt a remote work environment in COVID, which I know you had said uh, when we were talking before that you guys were fully in office, butts in seats pre-COVID, and now you guys are very remote focused. And I'm curious, what had to change in your mindset or in the company's mindset to be more effective as a remote-based sales organization versus somebody that was sitting with folks on the floor every day? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think thankfully for me, it was, it was easy based on my experience previously. So at HubSpot, right, you know, technically – uh, good old Podzilla was technically the first team at HubSpot to truly have re full remote reps. Um, that started under, under Shep and then continued under me. And um, so I, I was really used to it. And, you know, and then working at the agency, I was remote from there too, a little bit of a different ballgame. So for me personally, honestly, not a lot had to change, but I think the important things that I had to instill in my leadership as much as they really took to it pretty easily um, was, uh, you know, expectation setting, high degree of communication, um, making the effort to have the conversation instead of the slack, I think is a really important aspect when you're remote, right? 
because we don't have the uh, incidental conversation, you know, as, as we're, you know, getting coffee or something like that, right? So if I want to talk to someone, I'd say 80% of the time, I ping them, I ask them if they have a minute to chat, right? Because it gives me a minute to build relationship, to see them face-to-face. I also, as a rule, um, I turn my camera on. Now, I do not enforce that. And the reason I don't enforce that is my eyes were opened by um, someone I know who pointed out the fact that not everyone is camera ready at all times. And that's an important thing. And I don't want to impose that I think it's good to see each other onto someone else. So in the interest of being you know, uh, considerate of other people's needs. I don't enforce that, but I do encourage conversation. Um, and I, I want, you know, an ongoing dialogue with people. I want to know somebody is in there. I don't want to enforce working hours, but I do want to know you're visible and you're online and all that type of stuff. The organization itself, a lot of that, honestly, I think it came down to trust that it can happen that way. And I think it was because some people within our organization hadn't necessarily seen the movie where it worked. You know what I mean? And I'd already seen a couple movies where I knew remote selling could work and I knew a remote organization can work. So, you know, it was about building trust and building that muscle and over what has now been uh, 15 months, right? We've been, we've been remote for 15 months and, you know, we've been killing it. And, you know, I think a lot of companies have been so, you know, there's, there's a big change in the workforce in the world, man. Like we're, we're hanging on to a 40 hour work week in offices because that's what people decided in 1934 or something like that. And gives a shit like that's not what the world is anymore. So it's up to us. It's up to leadership now and behind us to, to figure out what the new world looks like. And it clearly looks like a remote world. That, that's because that's what we all want these days. Yeah, I think as you go back to the first point about we are all individual humans and Mm -hmm. so many people had to move their lives, leave their families, leave their loved ones and the things that they love to do to give it all up for a job, which for me was transformational. I had no interest in moving to Boston, but was an awesome experience for me that I would never give up or, or give back for the world. But now in this new day and age, people can find so much more enjoyment and pleasure and success in whatever it is that fills them up by being able to work from wherever they are. And so I'm curious, as we think about this new way of work and identifying, you know, what are those things that help you relax or de-stress or manage your mental health, you know, what are some of those routines or habits that you practice to make sure that you can show up great as a leader for your team? Sure. Sure. I mean, a healthy dose of cannabis. No, I'm kidding, but I mean, kind of not, but you know, um, being able to unwind, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so put the pandemic aside because I think every one of us have gotten thrown off in our self-care and our fitness routines, right? As much as I think finally, for me personally, I'm trying to get back to it. But, you know, it's, it's consistent self-care in the terms of being active, getting exercise, recognizing what I need, um, 
you know, I mean, I'm abysmal about it nowadays, but tons of yoga is what, where I basically settled, um, primarily to account for like injuries that just get flared up by anything else. But, you know, nowadays for me, right. And I think for sales reps and for anybody who's working remote, boundaries are very important. Um, it's hard to do that when you're not working, right? Because we have email on our phones. We're accessible all the time. We carry our laptops when we leave the office most of the time. So one thing that I really push on my team is to be boundary. If you take a day off, take a day off. Do not check your email, right? If you are working all day and you decide to stop at 5.15 uh, or 4.30 or whatever, right? stop. Don't go back to it. Don't decide you're going to work at nine o'clock at night too, because nothing we're doing is that critical. And I don't mean to take away from the importance of the work that we all do, but we're not curing cancer or saving babies here, right? Most of us, and probably a lot of people who are going to listen to this are slinging software or something similar. Like that. And so you know, that work can wait. We got to prioritize ourselves in our life, you know. So I make sure I'm spending time with my child. I make sure I'm taking my dog for a walk, you know, because it makes me feel better. Let alone you take your brain out of the work thing and you will solve more problems because your mind is actually working in your subconscious, right? So, um, so that is, you know, that is a big thing. You know, the first thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make sure I'm okay, make sure my life is okay. Make sure I feel good about my family. Make sure I feel good about my level of activity. And that's what I'm trying to do by setting an example for my team. And that's also sometimes what I tell them. I can't tell you this one particular rep who's just a rock star. But the amount of times I've had to tell her, you need to stop working. I used to make a habit of slacking her when I'd see her at 630 at night. And be like, stop working now, you know, because... Sometimes people need to hear that and they don't expect to hear that necessarily from a leader, but it's important for us in leadership to help to set the right tone and example. Because if you're happy, if you're relaxed, if you feel like your life is in order, you are going to be a much more effective employee. So it's, it's you know, it, it's all about that. It's about finding the thing that helps you to, to feel like everything is okay and then I can be better at work. That's so powerful, especially as a leader to model that, to be able to say, yeah, here, here's when we're, I'm going to sign off and you're not going to hear back from me today mm-hmm. or when I, I'm taking that time out or whatever it is, or being able to say, hey, relax, take a step back. I know you're great at this job. I know you can do it. And I think you're going to do even better if you take a step back for an hour or two or the day, because as much as we are programmed to just push harder to get more and better results, we find to your point, when we take a step back, when we take a deep breath, when we leave the computer, new ideas actually come that wouldn't come to us if we were just sitting there grinding away and pushing harder. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's a lot to be said about rhythms in life, you know, and respecting the rhythm that you work at in the way your body and mind works. Like, I literally tell my team and basically everyone in my company, don't schedule a meeting with me before 10 a.m. Like, if you want productivity from me, don't bother. 
because if it's nine o'clock in the morning, like I'm just not there for it, kind of, you know? And exceptions, of course, and I'm sure our CEO will cringe hearing that, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's the reality. I'm more effective at different hours. And you got you to gotta pay attention to learn that about yourself. It's hard when you're in sales because, you know, we're so reactive and we want to be available for demos and calls and this, that, and the other thing. But there are really, there's a lot to be said for, for paying attention and understanding I'm not on my game at certain hours and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go take care of myself a little bit more because of that. And then I'm going to come back and be twice as productive. Yeah. Especially as you think about your strengths and weaknesses and really understanding yourself and when you perform the best, I tend to have my calendar blocked to a similar time, usually nine o'clock mountain, which crazy enough is 11 Eastern. And I work with a lot of folks on the East coast and I let meetings get booked then, but I don't let anybody book meetings in those early hours that I know is my time when I can get big projects done, when I can do heavy lifting tasks. And so I think it's really important to the boundaries comment to say, yeah, here's when I can meet with you. I will, but I don't want any person to just schedule on top of that time when I can show up but it's not when I'm really working at my best and it takes a long time to learn. Is that something that you've known for a long time or has that changed maybe as you've become a parent or, or grown at all? How have you recognized that? Uh, you know, I, I, I think you're onto something with the parent thing. I think if anything, um, the, you know, time has never seemed so, uh, precious and diminishing as it does in particular watching my son go from, you know, a, an adorable three, four-year-old to now he's almost seven. And, you know, there's already differences there. So I go on for a long time. It's a different podcast, but, um, you know, I mean, it, so yes, it's a little bit that it, it is a lesson. I feel like to be frank, I've only learned in the last probably five, six, seven years as I've become more comfortable with you know myself but also the 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 skill set i have the limitation the confidence i have in my own abilities and in the fact that i know i'm effective and i'm effective because i trust myself and the way that i work and the way i know how to work well you know and you know the, the big caveat on all this is you don't you you know you don't take this mentality if you're not effective, if you're not getting your job done, right? And there are some people who think, well, this is all about, you know, making sure I'm okay and, and ensuring self-care and all that stuff. That's great. You should do that. But if you are doing that at the expense of what you are obligated to do for the business, right? And not in a one-off way, in a consistent way, then, then you're overcommitted committed and you got to find a balance in your life and you got to figure out. And more often than not, you're overcommitted professionally if prioritizing your family and your personal life so you are content doesn't enable you to be successful professionally. Well, maybe you're in the wrong job, you know? And that's an okay thing. We have a really hard time admitting things like that to ourselves, but, you know, that that is a reality of particularly work like this in sales. So, um you know, the, the big caveat is make sure you're, you're effective and you're successful and you're, you're meeting your goals and you're not just shirking the responsibility that you have because 
you know, regardless of how mercenary I might think about a career sometimes, uh, we still, you know, we, we, we sign up and we accept the paycheck because we are telling the business we're going to get the job for And that's an important aspect to this whole thing too, is be effective. You know, there's no reason we can't kick ass and, and enjoy our lives as well. Um, so as we start thinking a little bit about effectiveness in sales, I, I'm always curious, is 100% doing a great job or is that doing the bare minimum? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I think it's doing a great job. I think that if... 100% is not a great job, then your goals are wrong. So um, that is not to say you shouldn't strive to overperform, overperform excuse me, but uh, no, I, I think if you are good at setting goals, which uh, is challenging sometimes, but you know, then, then you should be happy when you achieve that goal, right? Now, there's a lot in there because, you know, you work at a high growth company that, that is setting goals at a certain level in order to exceed those goals in order to tell a specific story, right? Well, a great job is exceeding those goals, right? So, um, I think, a, you know, a great job comes down to maximizing on the opportunity in front of you, Right. So regardless of what my goal is, if I've got 10 leads to sell and I've got a close rate of, you know, call it 60%, right? And I can come back and I can sell nine of those leads. That means I maximize my opportunity at 90% close rate, right? But if I do three of those that close, well, I'm not maximizing the opportunity in front of me. So, and that is a harsh reality because Again, you think macro impact, sometimes demand generation isn't where it needs to be, right? Um, uh, and I got to say, I haven't seen that in, in years, but it does happen, right? And so, you know, a, a great job is achieving goals. A great job is getting the most you can out of the opportunity set in front of you. Um, but a really great job is overperforming, I guess, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah weird it's trap. a tough one. Yeah, we, it's a hard one. And we get in a weird trap of here's a goal and you're only great if you're exceeding your goal. Well, then why is my goal higher? You know, like it's, I don't know. I This is a really interesting question that now I'm sort of chewing on and I struggle with a little bit. But, you know, if I look across the board and I got 100% attainment from every single sales rep, I am, I am ecstatic. I think that's a really good point. And I know as I've looked into goal setting around teams, you know, maybe you don't want everybody at hundred percent long-term as you look at compensation payments and are you pushing people far enough? But it's a really interesting thing that, you know, a couple of the startups I worked for early on, it was astounding if anybody ever hit hundred percent or if the company hit their sales goals versus, you know, some other companies and HubSpot and places we've worked where it's like, oh, it's crazy if we don't hit 100% as a company. And so, especially as you think about startups and getting to that goal setting approach and, and how you get there, um, 
that it's pretty crazy to think about what success is across the organization. I did just hear uh, from another recording that typically if you can hit 85% of your goals and fail 15% of the time, you're in the optimal learning zone. And so as I start thinking about, you know, how do you want to drive your team performance? How do you want to make sure you are pushing them to maximize their opportunity, but also having something that's attainable? I thought that 15% was an interesting stat. It is, but as a, you know, as a sales leader, I certainly don't want people finishing at 85%, <laughs> you know, because then that compounds over the course of a few reps. Um, you know, I mean, look, it's a tough thing. You know, I, I look a lot at the level of effort and commitment people have to the role, whether they're willing to grow, whether they're willing to be coached, whether they are self-aware of their, their skills, their deficiencies and all that type of stuff, you know? So you do have to holistically assess people and teams in order to figure out if they're doing a great job, right? it's not always as simple as the numbers in front of you, um, which is, you know, which is one, I think one of the challenges of, again, of, of a effective leadership, you know, it, it, your numbers don't always tell the story. There's a lot of qualitative things within a team that matter. Yeah, that, that's a huge point. A couple rapid fire questions to wrap up with Sean, as this is really great. All right. The first one I love to ask is, do you love winning or hate losing more? I love winning more. I could have guessed that. Um, as you think about hiring folks onto your team, whether it's a leader or individual contributor, what's your favorite interview question to ask? Um, where do you think you still need to develop is a really good question. Um, that, yeah, probably that. I love that. Mm -hmm. And what does success mean to you? <laughs> uh, uh, success means, you know, success means a couple things. It means meeting your goals. It means bringing the people along with you for the ride who should be, right? Success is not, and I'll tell you, this is probably a big thing that's changed since the, the early days of you and I working together, right? Success is not just about me, right? Success is about the company and it's about the team. It's about the individuals collectively succeeding, right? So, you know, that's true success. True success is when I look around the table and everybody feels good about what we did. Um, and I mean, it's ultimately, it's, it's being happy, you know, but, you know, if you want to get, you know, kind of base about it, it's about, you know, crushing goals and making a lot of money, which is, you know, why else do we work? Right. But um, I think ultimately it's about growth and it's about people, growing and learning together and, and achieving the goals that we all set in front of us personally, professionally, organizationally, whatever the case might be. I love that. Well, Sean, does that thank you so much for joining us. 
Uh, I'll definitely link off to your LinkedIn profile, uh, anywhere else that folks can find you uh, or should follow you. Find you at Jazz HR. I mean, definitely at Jazz HR. We produce a ton of great content about the HR space. So yes, please, Um, jazzhr.com. As well as Jobvite, which is part of the family now and Next Thing RPO. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not the, I'm not the best contributor to social media personally. So keep an eye on my organizations. <laughs> I love that. Well, we, we will definitely look for you there. I, I'm sure as you're continually growing the team and expanding, uh, folks can find you. And, uh, I think I, I see that you guys are hiring. So, uh, definitely give Sean a, a shout if you guys are looking to help companies hire better and more effectively. And until next time, let's go make it a great day. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Bye. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks.